Welcome to Family Office Connections. I'm Edward Marshall, Managing Director at Boston Private. Today, we continue our series of discussions focused on the results of a family office survey that we released recently. In that report, we asked over 200 family office executives to give us their thoughts on risk and threat matters they face every single day. Uh, the results were illuminating on one hand, I answered many questions, but uh, on the other hand, posed some new ones and provided some unexpected insights into the risk management characteristics and behaviors of family offices. Uh, these findings certainly opened some new areas to evaluate and present opportunities for both families uh, and the advisors and vendors uh, to those families uh, to address risk more effectively. My guest today is Brad Deflin of Total Digital Security. Brad, thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, before we begin, you know, perhaps you can give us a little bit about your background and then um, talk about your experience of working with family offices. Sure. Good morning, Eddie. So my background is uh, previously 25 years in private banking in the ultra high net worth sector. Um, in 2012, uh, I first had a glimpse of cyber risk coming into the personal environments of, of this client set. And um, I felt it was clear that that was a trend that was going to continue and was not just going to include the ultra high net worth or potentially targeted individuals or families, but, you know, even more broadly. Um, so I left the private banking business to start Total Digital Security as a platform to avail enterprise quality IT security solutions for use by individuals, small groups on their personal technology. And so we've been working with family offices and wealthy families, private clients since 2013. Great. Thanks, Brad. Well, let's uh, jump in here into uh, the findings and the, the discussion that we had uh, earlier around uh, one of the findings we had of poor risk management mindsets. And some of the ways that we talked about that that has, um, you know, occurred with some of the families that you've worked with is really around and underestimating the the threats that are out there or even you know to the extent of complacency around some of the risks because they can come in numerous forms not just cyber uh, what what has your experience been there and what have you recommended to families uh, in that kind of a situation yeah so this is a really important topic these days because on one hand I think the um, risk management solutions have really advanced, but I don't think that broadly we've advanced uh, from the people side of things near as much. Um, I think if anything, we're doing sort of anti-phishing training, uh, maybe locally, but um, I think it's, you know, it's an intangible kind of unseen risk and it's hard to sort of fathom and understand the potential consequences and what potentially could happen to an individual or a family or an organization um, in the event of an attack and a breach. Um, so there's, a, I think there's a call for more kind of deep tissue approach on an individual basis that begins to speak to people, you know, as individuals, not just employees that are doing something for the sake of the firm or the enterprise or the family office or somebody else, but is increasing their awareness for their own good. This is an existential risk. It does not leave when you go home at the end of the day from the office, if we ever do that again. Um, it, it really is around us 24 seven. It's, it's almost out there in the ether. And um, what we have found is if we approach 
people, individuals, a group of people, um, with with the approach that you know this is these are life skills. These are life skills that we all need for survival and success in the future in the digital age. We need to bring our families up to speed. We need to talk to our kids a little bit more uh, directly about these things. And certainly in the office environment, the enterprise environment with the family office, we need to be much more aware, more compliant. And again, not just for the sake of somebody else, but for the sake of survival and success as, as an individual. And what we have found is that when you approach it that way, um, the, the individual or the small group begins to internalize these things and they begin to think differently. Um, there is no on-off switch or aha moment necessarily, but after some time and greater awareness and noticing the headlines and hearing about a neighbor being breached, um, there's a greater understanding and a, and a greater sort of um, realization for this level of risk so that their levels of awareness and behavioral changes, um, again, is not sort of forced on them as an employee, but is embraced by the individual as someone that wants to survive and succeed in a new environment. And so we think that the training approaches and the um, risk awareness programs really should be centered around people and um, directed and communicated to them in a way that they can take away as individuals and again internalize these things and find long-term change to handle you know what is really going to be a much more challenging environment going forward in the future so brad you you mentioned one thing about sort of the human in the loop uh and the issue that that comes up here how do you bring that up to it uh to the attention of the principal or individuals in the family office around that. I mean, some, uh, you mentioned a few things in terms of, uh, you know, being aware of, uh, you know, another family member or, or a neighbor or something like that uh, being affected by, you know, a risk issue. Is that the only way? Is it sort of mimicry or are there other ways that you've seen that have been effective to, to raise the awareness? Because sometimes, you know, everyone wants to buy hurricane insurance after yeah. Um, so yeah, a couple of things. One is um, we have a program called Cybersecurity as an Employee Benefit, and that's where we'll approach the employee group not as a, a compliance training, but as an employee benefit. This is for your own good, not only in the workplace, but in your personal life. And so the case studies that we talk about are not about a $10 million ransomware um, situation that they may have you know, difficulty relating to, but other things that have really impacted an individual's life and how um, that can be avoided and how you can be much smarter about these things. One of the elements that we take with cybersecurity as an employee benefit is that we equip those individuals with some solutions, whether it be as simple as a password manager or um, more advanced or sophisticated as remotely monitored and managed device protection for their computer or their laptop. Um, when they're using these solutions and they get to see sort of what it's doing and they begin to think about what it's doing and have some awareness around what it's blocking and how it's working, again, the awareness increases, their behavior changes, and it becomes a more natural approach versus a, a forced approach. 
Um, so the so we equip them with tools that are to be used in their personal lives and their professional lives, for that matter. But they're theirs, and they're on their own devices. And these type of solutions include again, sort of, you know, well, what's it doing for me, and uh, how do I monitor that? And so when they see in real time um, the the effects and the advantages and the activity and they're interacting with those solutions, um, everything changes really for the individual in that they are thinking very much on their own and they are kind of owning the issue as, again, as opposed to the enterprise or the family office forcing something upon them. Brad, so let's move on to the, the second finding that we talked about and that's around the need for increased training and stress testing. Uh, of plans that are out there. I think one of the things that you've, you know, you mentioned in terms of a, you know, benefit uh, to, to uh, executives in the family office of having that training and, and other pieces that are there, where have you seen, you know, training go well around risk management for family offices and where, where can you recommend some improvements based on uh, your experience of working with family offices? So I think where where it's gone well is, for example, we deal with a couple of New York Stock Exchange companies with their C-suite and board members in their personal environments. And in one case in particular, a defense contractor, a 100-year-old New York Stock Exchange company, the, the board members, the executives really had a very low level of understanding toward the risk or the solutions or the potential consequences. Um, and it really took one-on-one activity to raise that level of understanding coupled with the solutions. And it gets them to a whole different place. And then they understand broadly, more broadly, what the implications are institutionally for the enterprise. And they're more willing to think about things like the human element, like training, and like providing protection for some subset of employees, um, even outside of the office. You would think an aerospace and defense company would have much more awareness than, you know, an individual that might have had a liquidity event from, uh, you know, a manufacturing company or a tech company or or multi-generational family. So that's surprising to hear, but interesting to see. Yeah. And and so we've, you know, we've reflected a lot on that. And I think my takeaway is that on some level, especially board members, they are kind of insulated from a lot of these realities. It's kind of the IT department's responsibility. And these are senior executives that have been senior executives for a long time. And in many cases, they have the opportunity to kind of select, you know, where they focus. And in many cases, if the IT department says, you know, we got this, that's as far as the thinking goes. And so years go by and they're left really with very low levels of critical thinking skills um, and there's a lot of catch-up required. This is not something that is the IT department's responsibility. It is a culture-wide responsibility. And you've got to walk the talk from the top down in order to really inculcate long-term adaptation and change all the way down. We say from the boardroom to the break room to the living room, for that matter. And that's, that's very much our approach. So it's surprising, again, a defense contractor, and they were certainly having activity, and the CEO was you know, wise enough to recognize that and knew he had to pivot quickly. But what we found was 
we were starting from a very low base. Um, and it, it did validate some, some thoughts that we had, but the real world experience certainly was, was somewhat surprising. But I do think it was because these executives are insulated. And in many cases, they opted to defer to the IT department versus, you know, really gaining the critical thinking skills that we need today. Thanks, Brad. I think that's, that's a really great uh, insight. And I'd say the last question would be, you know, you, you've certainly um, distinguished yourself as somebody that looks at, uh, you know, advanced technologies and, and new ways of um, bringing best of breed approaches to working with family offices. Are, are there, is there a set of technologies or suite that you're looking at um, that, that will be prevalent uh, today or maybe over the next couple of years that family offices should be aware of? Yes. Uh, first, let me set the table on that because I think this is a really important element. In, in 2012, when I first noticed this risk coming into the personal lives of the ultra high net worth individual and family, um, there was another side to that equation. And that was, if you remember in 2012, very little economic growth and yet a lot of cash, low interest rates, investment capital was prepared, but looking for places to deploy um, suddenly, in around 2012, cybercrime was recognized as a growth industry. And this is probably because the mobile revolution, which was launched in 2007 with the iPhone, um, suddenly, after a period of years, we were all hubbing our lives off these mobile devices and sharing some of the most important and sensitive and intimate information that we have, both personally and professionally. And of course, that information is very valuable and can be engineered and manipulated to do uh, a lot of different things, even against the best interests of the user. Um, so the criminal element recognized that, that there were billions of unprotected devices with tremendously value inf valuable information flowing back and forth about all sorts of things, including financial transactions and personal elements that can be used again against somebody. Um, and so tremendous levels of investment capital began to flow in late 2012 and on into 2013 and up to today, literally quarter in, quarter out practically, record levels of fresh investment capital coming into what was once a very stagnant oligopoly, kind of a antivirus gravy train industry for 25 years um, that had really no consumer base to speak of. Um, and so this fresh capital in a lot of cases found its way way down the capital stack in the venture level. And we're looking to disrupt some of the, um, legacy providers that were really around hardware centric solutions. And they were in business to sell and service, um, hardware. Um, if you recall in 2012, 2013, this is when we first started to, see the sophistication of clouds uh, when artificial intelligence and machine learning began to come into the equation and advances in software. Um, networks were becoming more and more powerful with greater bandwidth. And so this new set of competitors with this fresh capital looking to disrupt the sustaining industry uh, were able to bring, were able to work with tools that were not so available previously and certainly had not found themselves embedded in the legacy providers. So there's some leapfrogging going on where the, this new set of providers is 
really raising the bar from a competitive standpoint. Um, innovation in the field is tremendous. And the solutions that we see now are remotely monitored and managed, are software-centric, are as a service, are becoming more and more effective, more and more affordable, and easier to use uh, for anybody on a personal computer, in personal environments, or in the largest institution. One of the technologies that we're really excited about and that we deploy into personal and professional environments all the time is known as SD-WAN, that's Software Defined Wide Area Network. This is the backbone infrastructure that 5G will be built on. And it essentially puts all the heavy lifting in a remote operation and delivers the results into the local environment. And we have found for cybersecurity, that infrastructure works really well and again, increases efficacy, increases affordability, and it's to the point where it's plug and play and really requires no local expertise or sophistication or servicing. So these new solutions are not around hardware and servers and blades and all of that, but are around you know, the internet connection being tuned to be secure and anonymous for an entire environment, including all of the things that we connect to the internet today, whether it be our Alexa or Ring doorbell or IP security cameras, as we continue to add these things to our local networks, every one of them is an on-ramp, and we need to have solutions that take that into account and create really a blanket of security um, over the environment. So the industry is, is, has been restarted, reignited, reinvigorated, fresh capital, innovation, new platforms, and the results are terrific. But I do think there's still a gap between the, where those solutions are and where they're, what they're, where they're getting to versus the general understanding of their accessibility and affordability and, and the way you can apply them way downstream. You don't have to be a 10,000 employee company to enjoy the, the uh, results of these types of solutions. Thanks, Brad. Now, you know, listen, I really appreciate you joining me today. If, uh, to folks listening, if you'd like to get in touch with Brad or if you have any questions, do send us an uh, email to familyoffice at bostonprivate.com. That's familyoffice at bostonprivate.com. Uh, I'd also recommend you check out our website. You can find numerous resources, download the survey that Brad and I were talking about, sign up for our newsletter, get this podcast and much, much more in your inbox. Um, that website is bostonprivate.com forward slash family office. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. Uh, that's it for today. Check back for a new podcast next week. Bye, everybody. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. 
All sourced information is believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions, and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW, nor its investment professionals or representatives, provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.